can't ride on my little red wagon. You can't ride on my little red wagon. Front seat's broken in the wicket, the wicket, the wicket, the wicket. <laughs> What's up, y'all? This is the Nick Bartlett Show. This is a Sports Pack 12 original. So don't forget it, y'all knuckleheads. If you didn't figure it out by the title, my name is Nick Bartlett. I'm the broadcast manager here at Sports Pack 12. I'm also a staff writer at Oregon Sports News. I've had my articles featured in the Seattle PI, 750 The Game, and Go Local PDX, and a bunch of other random media outlets and places and shenanigans and all like that. This is a sports show about Pac-12, current events, affairs, obviously the action of the field, and the conference in totality. Thank you for tuning in. If you're new to the show, if you've been here for a long time, eh, maybe thank you. Nah, nah, thank you for coming on. And without further ado, let's get to some Pac-12 action. Welcome back to the Nick Barlow Show, everybody. This week, we're going to be back to the full show. We implemented the shorts the last couple weeks, but we back to the full thing today, baby. So, we got some hoops on the agenda, and what are we going to be breaking down today? Today, we're going to start the show with Stanford and look at their bubble watch, bubble projections, and what they need to do to make the NCAA tournament. After that, I'm going to take a look at my favorite two top teams in the Pac-12. May not be everyone else's, but they're definitely my, not favorite teams, but in my opinion, the two top teams in the Pac-12. And since it is the full show, you already know what it is, baby. We got Bartlett's random topic of the day back in action and back on spot, baby. So uh, no guests today, just me. And let's get straight into it. So we're going to look at Stanford first. And they're the only true bubble team in our conference. I'm going to start with, got to give Dane some love here. If you don't know who Dane is by now, Dane Miller, he's the assistant editor at Sports Pack 12. He's been a guest on my show multiple times and me and him do have the Dane and Nick show as well. But want to make sure to give Dane credit for this. This is off of his Twitter feed. So he had a nice little stat here on Stanford and it's going to revolve their record in quad one and two games, their NET and their road record. And it's going to be in comparison to Minnesota. So if you're looking at Stanford, they're six and nine in quad one and two games. Their NET is 57th, and their road record is 6-5. and five. Overall, they're 14-9. and nine. In comparison to Minnesota, they're 5-11 and 11 in quad 1 and 2 games. They're 60th in the NET, and their road record is 0-8. Some of uh, Minnesota's stats may have changed. The tweet was one or two days old, but you get the gist here. From the outside, kind of non-partisan or partisan, however you phrase that, it does look like Stanford does have the better resume. Last I saw, they're the last four out on the bubble. But one thing to consider, to be fair, is that the Big Ten is probably a better basketball conference this year. I Probably, definitely, if we're just being honest. I mean, you're looking at Michigan, you're looking at Ohio State, you're looking at Luke Garza, uh, Luke Garza in Iowa, so they got a lot of talent there. But for Stanford, it's obviously very close. And resume speaking alone, it does look like they do deserve to be in the NCAA tournament. Will that happen? I don't know, and we'll dive a little bit deeper. So they do have some questionable losses on the year that are really hurting their cause. 
They lost at Utah by 14, Colorado by 18, and at Oregon by 17. They also lost their last outing to WSU in triple overtime. I am saying that with a warm heart and a huge smile on my face because you already know I'm a kook. But a uh, <laughs> oh, beautiful win. Thank you, Noah. Thank you. But um, seriously, that that is a tough loss for Stanford. They really needed to get it done against the Cougs. So three of those blowout losses just really hurt. You'd expect them to play a lot better considering the talent on this team. They also have a couple nice wins, but not as many as we all may think. And really only three, if we're being honest here. In conference, they beat Arizona twice, which is very impressive. I know the Wildcats have been up and down this year, but anytime you beat the Wildcats twice, that's impressive. UA is a good program with a lot of talent. They also beat Alabama in the season opener. For me, though, I don't, I'm not as impressed by that if I just want to keep it 100. I think that the season opening game is kind of just a crapshoot. Your bottom line, whether it's NBA, college, high school, or <laughs> I coached seventh grade JV last year, the opening game, you just want to find a way to win. They did that. If Stanford met Alabama now, would it be a different result? Maybe. So if you're looking at just their roster, I mean, obviously it starts with Oscar Da Silva, but the team has enough talent to get in. Plain and simple, they have enough talent to get in the NCAA tournament. They need to put it together all right now. I mean, because if you're just looking at it, most teams with a lottery pick and Zaire Williams and a Conference of the Year candidate would likely get in in Oscar Da Silva, a Conference Player of the Year in Oscar Da Silva. And on top of Zaire and Oscar, I mean, they got Dejon Davis and Bryce Wills, who are arguably the best defensive backcourt in the conference, along with Jaden Dallaire, who's a vicious slasher attacking the hoop. That's five deep, guys. That's five really good players at the college level. And a lottery pick and a Pac-12 Player of the Year candidate. This team should be in the NCAA tournament, which leads me to my next point here. Jared Hass, head coach. This one's on you if your team doesn't get in. You've got to get in this year. The talent is there. It's been a weird year all around. I understand the Stanford's had really no home games until as of recent. I mean, seriously, they've been living out of freaking hotels. But you got to find a way. You've just got to find a way. And it's easy for me to say I wasn't living in a hotel. But you got to find a freaking way. This is one of the most talented Stanford teams I can remember since like the Josh Childers era. Going back to like when Stanford was number one. And this Stanford team's fighting to barely make the tournament. Again, last I saw in Joe Lunardi's, uh, they're on their last four out. So I think that Stanford really has a lot of talent. Arguably one of the most talented teams in the Pac-12. Not quite at that elite level in my opinion, but very close. Very slim margin between them and the top, top, top teams. For now though, for now though, even though I gave you all the cool stats, throw them out. Throw out the stats Throw out the bubble projections and throw out that triple overtime loss to the Cougs. <laughs> Again, Noah Williams and that tying three, baby. You know how loud I was yelling. I was so freaking happy. But seriously, throw all those things out because they host Oregon and travel to LA to face the Trojans in two of their last three games, which gives them an opportunity for two huge resume builders, two huge chances, two huge freaking chances. They also uh, do host OSU in between. Hopefully, they'll avoid a slip up there. The Beavers are not an easy victory. and Don't get it twisted. The Beavers are much improved and very solid. But for the Cardinal guys, they still have their chances. And if they can't get it done, really, they have no one to blame but themselves. 
And for me, I really like the Stanford team. I just love watching them play. I love Oscar Da Silva. And it's one of those things, even as a dire Coug, don't get me wrong, I prefer the Cougs win that 100% of the time. But in the back of my mind, as a guy who covers the Pac-12 in totality, I was hurting for the Cardinal because I did want to see this team get in. And I knew that a loss in that game would likely send them to the first four out of the bubble. But hey, the road's a little bit tougher now with Oregon and USC. But you want to make the tournament and play the elite teams, you got to get it done now. So the Cardinal have their chances, like I said. Let's see if they can do it. Moving forward here, we're going to hop into the two best teams in the pack, in my opinion. And I'm going to start with the Oregon Ducks. And to be 100% honest, I I actually I, <laughs> I actually haven't seen the Ducks play enough this year to make a full assessment. But my gut says this team is among the best in the pack. And the games I've seen, you got to understand, they actually didn't look their best. I got to see the full game against WSU. I got to see the full game against USC. And maybe a couple other little glimpses here and there. But in those two outings, obviously, Oregon didn't look their best. But the talent, you can see it, guys. The talent on this team is there. They're good. They have firepower. And they have it deep. So you can't convince me this team isn't going to be elite. Let, let me get back to my script here. <laughs> Going off on a tangent, I just really think this Ducks team is talented. And even with their recent decimation, decimation at the hands of the Trojans, I think this team has got what it takes to make a sweet 16 run, if not more. I mean, you got Chris Duarte, Will Richardson, Frank Ketnog, and LJ Figueroa. That's a dope combination. You got four deep, talented, amazing players, man. And again, this is Oregon Hoops. This is an elite basketball program. So I'm not even naming all the names. You can go 5, 6, 10 deep. Maybe not 10, but 8 or 9 players deep. And they're all extremely, extremely talented. I believe this team is still to put their best bowl of suit forward. And other teams around the pack should definitely look out. And also, any team coached by Dana Altman is usually dangerous come tourney time. I mean, the man is only one of 5 active coaches to have 23 consecutive winning seasons at the D1 level. And, yeah, 23. And, uh... Don't forget, he's also the last co- the last coach to lead a Pac-12 team to the Final Four as his 2017 Ducks team accomplished, accomplished that feat. I was having trouble with that stanza there. But anyway, 23 consecutive winning seasons in a row and a Final Four berth in 2017. So never sleep on the Ducks and Dana Altman, specifically come postseason time. For me, it should really, really be interesting to see how they bounce back after Monday's loss. Particularly due to the fact that they face a very desperate Stanford team on the road. We just broke down Stanford. So this Oregon-Stanford matchup should be a lot of fun. I'm probably going to watch this one tomorrow night. Maybe in li- liaison on my Cougs. I'm I'm lying, guys. I'm only not watching that because the Cougs are playing late and uh, I got work. But seriously, this Oregon-Stanford game, if you like Pac-12 basketball, this is one to watch. Stanford's playing for it all. Oregon isn't playing for it all. But a loss to the Cardinal, they're slowly... They'll probably be in the tournament either way, but they're slowly tipping towards that bubble. And they don't want that to happen at all, even with the month-long hiatus due to COVID. And they've had a tough tough go of things. They do not want to lose to the Cardinal. It it, it puts them in a position they'd prefer not to be in. So next week, guys, I'm actually going to do my best to get a specialist in to break down the Ducks heading into March. But no promises. I connected with somebody, but we weren't able to make it work in time. But I really do want to get in-depth, deep analysis on the Ducks. So I'm going to do my best to get that done for you guys next week. Which actually leads me to my final team today. 
And we're going to answer the question here of how good is this Trojan squad really? And for me, the answer is they're damn good, guys. They're really freaking good. Now, will that equate to success in March? I don't know that. But here are three key factors that I believe will increase their chances of a deep tournament run. And who knows, maybe a Final Four. It's possible and could happen. So the first factor, the first player, it's actually three players, not factors. So the first player is going to be Taj Edie. And if you guys remember when I broke down the Trojans earlier this year, I said he was a key factor and underrated piece on USC's roster. And when he's on, the Minotaur is really tough to beat. What I didn't know, though, <laughs> for I didn't know this at all, was he started playing this good. The man has been balling. He's been balling out. In his last four outings, he's dropped 29, 18, 17, and 24 against the Ducks on Monday night, in which he sparked the team hitting three threes in the opening minutes of the contest. The Trojans never looked back from that point, and Taj Edi was the catalyst at the very beginning of the game. What's more impressive than that, though, is that he shot over 50% from the field in three out of the last four matchups, with his lowest percentage proving 46.7 against UA, 46.7% from the field. If he can continue to score this clip, it takes tremendous pressure off of Evan Mobley and balances out a team that may sometimes rely on defense to win games. Edie's a stud. That's for sure. He's a stud at the Pac-12 level. I love Edie. Obviously, probably not an NBA player, maybe overseas professionally, but it'll be interesting to see if the graduate transfer from Santa Clara can, can continue to play at a high level, especially when postseason play begins. I don't know. I haven't studied Santa Clara's basketball history. Obviously, I'm a Pac-12 guy. I don't know if he's ever been a like, big-time, big-time NCAA tournament games, but I just want to see how he performs when the lights are really on. Seems like he's found, found his rhythm. I love the way he plays, so I would bet on him, but that does remain to be seen. Alongside Taj, the Trojans could use more offense from the perimeter position, and this is where a couple other players really need to step up. The first is going to be Drew Peterson. We've already dissected his game earlier this year, but here are a couple notable things about Peterson that do have the potential to create matchup problems for the opposition. First off, his biggest, abil- his biggest attribute for the team is his ability to handle the ball at six foot eight. That doesn't mean that's his best skill, though. So it's important to separate those two things. His best attribute for this team is his ability to handle the ball at six foot eight. He's a great shooter, and that's probably his best skill. But his ability to create shots for the Trojans could prove absolutely paramount. I mean, I'm talking paramount for this team. And the reason it's so important is because Mobley will likely get the opposition's best post defender, while Edie will likely get the best perimeter defender. This leaves a huge opening for Peterson to be a third option, especially considering the Isaiahs, Mobley, and White haven't proven consistent playmakers with the ball in their hands. Those two are both great defenders, but on the offensive side of the ball, I'm shaking my hands a little bit. So a little bit shaky. And he may be the beneficiary of drawing weaker defenders, But ultimately, this is a team sport, and he could really take advantage of this opportunity come March. One problem, though, his scoring has been inconsistent in the last five games, with a high of five coming against Oregon and a low of two against WCU. He's kind of had some games in double figures, some games barely scoring the Rock. For me, it's not so much about Peterson's scoring. We would like to see higher than two points. I mean, come on, dog. Two points, Peterson. Two points, really? 
Sorry, you're a kid. No disrespect. I, I don't like disrespecting kids. Just, just kidding. But I would like to see more than two points. But for me, the biggest key and how we can really help this team is relentlessly attacking the hoop. Continuously, continuously. Being strong with the ball in his hands, not turning it over, and just putting pressure on the defense. He's going to find someone open. Whether it's a lob to Mobley, whether it's a kick out to Edie, whether Agbong Polo's dunking the ball, whoever it may be, his attacks are very important and just don't stop. Even if he draws a couple charges, even if he turns over like once, again, not many turnovers, but one time, relentlessly, relentlessly, relentlessly attack. This is going to help the Trojans a lot come turning time. That, in my opinion, obviously. It, it may not. You know what I'm saying? It may not, guys, but I, I really do think that would be a huge help for the Trojans. And the last player we're going to break down today is going to be, or the last player we're going to break down today is going to be Isaiah White. And he's actually a guy I didn't profile the first time we covered the Trojans. And guess what? I'm actually not going to do a deep dive on him. But just understand, if he scores the Rock, USC is almost impossible to beat. That's not where he hangs his hat. He's an extremely athletic defensive specialist whose energy on the court creates havoc for the opposition. Like, seriously, every time. he's I love watching him play. He's a coach's dream. He hustles after everything. He's also surprisingly efficient from the field, shooting 46.6% and averaging 7.2 points per game. However, he hasn't scored in double digits in the last five outings, which isn't necessarily a problem considering all he does on the court. But if he can score in double figures on a consistent basis, I really think this team can make the Final Four. Now, offense isn't his wheel of fortune, but if he can find the net a couple more times game, you know, maybe hit two threes, two free throws, and maybe two layups and get 12 points, at least double digits, watch out. Watch out. Like, he's, they have enough defensively to compete with any team in the country, in my opinion. You got Mobley protecting the rim. You got White causing havoc out on the perimeter. This seems really good defensively. And Isaiah Mobley's a heck of a defender, too. Do not want to leave him out. So, if Isaiah White can score in double figures, they can make the Final Four. They could probably be successful without this happening. But if it does happen, my freaking goodness, they'll be tough to beat. All right, guys, that's actually going to do it for our basketball coverage today. And (laughs) I'm not going to get into why I don't think UCLA is right now. Next week, I'll give Bruins fans probably some reason to be mad at me. I left them off here for a reason. But next week, I'll get into that a little bit further. For now, though, for now, though, in the shorts last two weeks, you got to be getting the full show to get Bartlett's random topic of the day. And that's exactly what freaking time it is right now. It is time for B-R-T-O-T-D. That was the weirdest acronym in the world. <laughs> Anyways, guys, for Bartlett's random topic of the day, I'm going to give you an update on the unrandom life of Nick Bartlett. I do not know why I referred to myself in third person when I did the trial run I did that. And I still did it anyways. I really preferred I didn't do that, but I did it. So I'm um, actually going to give you a little life update today with a life lesson mixed in. So the life lesson is going to be follow your intuition. And I'll use myself as an example of this. So as you guys know, if you've been rocking me for a while, I was working at a Catholic school as I was like a, I ran a program. It's like a hybrid daycare slash on-site all-day schooling location. Weird COVID stuff. But I was doing that, you know, full-time job, good benefits, good pay, um, great people, amazing people. But my gut told me it may not be the right long-term fit. And so 
My program ended because the kids were returning to on-site full classroom learning. Good that society's getting back to that. And the school did offer me a full-time position as a teacher's assistant. And again, you got to understand, guys, this is a well-paying job. Like for a paraeducator role, this is extremely well-paying. Great benefits. I mean, it's a Catholic school. Great freaking benefits. And guys, I'm a single guy. You got to understand this. All the teachers, man, those ladies were so freaking fine, dog. Like every one of them, bro, they were fine. I don't know why I'm whispering, bro. They were all so sexy, dog. I really hope I don't work there anymore, whatever. But, um, yeah, they're fine, dog. I don't even know what to tell you. But um, let me let me get back to the train of thought. We're talking basketball, not girls right now. So anyways, like as you can understand, this is like in a very well prestigious community in Seattle, you know, millionaire homes. From the outside, it looks like the ideal job. Like I said, I loved my time there. I loved all the people there. Really freaking awesome. But my gut told me, don't accept the teacher's assistant role. So I followed my intuition and I landed a part-time job uh, helping autistic kids. I, I did end up leaving Catholic school. Followed my gut and ended up helping autistic kids here in a part-time job. And I'm back at the school district I was with before the pandemic started. And it's actually the school district I attended as a kid. So like, you got to understand, I love the community. I broke down Shoreline in my last Bartlett's Ran topic of the day. I love my hometown, baby, North Seattle, 206. But um, it just, I don't know how it worked out, but I'm so happy I followed my gut. And I do want to throw out this caveat because I think it's fair to be transparent and 100% honest. I still live at home with my dad. He charges me a cheaper rent than I'm going to find. He does charge me rent, but he charges me a cheaper rent than I'm probably going to find anywhere else in Seattle. So with that caveat, understand it may not be reasonable for everyone to walk away from a full-time job to a part-time job. And it's probably a little bit easier for me to do because I did have um, a solid amount of money saved up knowing maybe I wasn't able to find employment. Obviously I did, but maybe if I didn't, I had enough money to go for a while. You know what I'm saying? But so I want to make that clear that, not everyone, you know, may be able to do that. Um, it, it's my indiv- individual circumstances. But following my intuition, guys, just working with these autistic kids, I feel happier. I feel more balanced. I just feel like myself more. And again, from the outside, from the outside, walking away from a full-time job during the middle of a pandemic, that may not seem logical. It probably doesn't seem logical to just about anyone. It didn't, I don't even know if it felt logical to me. And there were times where I was scared. I was like, what the hell did I just do? Like, what did I really just do? But I followed my gut and I ended up with a job I absolutely love. I love helping these autistic kids, man. We just vibe. <laughs> I don't know why, man. I just vibe with them, man. We got we got good, like, flow. That sounds so weird. I don't know. I just vibe with them. I feel like we understand each other. Maybe it's like subconscious, conscious, whatever it may be. Anyways, going on a tangent here. And seriously, just, guys, follow your intuition, and it may sound so simple. It may sound so simple, but we're brainwashed by society. We're brainwashed by the food we eat. We're brainwashed by the f- shows we watch. We're brainwashed by the commercials we watch during basketball games. All this shit, man, I was really trying not to swear. All this stuff continuously is getting in our head and it may make it difficult to follow our gut and our intuition, but that is us. That's the universe. We're the universe. So follow your freaking gut. And something my mom said, and that's all I'll end this Bartlett Strand topic today. Something my mom said is, sometimes the simplest things may be the most difficult to do. And yeah, it may be difficult to follow your gut, but do it. You will not regret it. Your gut is always right. 
and just trust it. I think that's so important. Your gut, your intuition, your heart, your soul, follow that. Sometimes logic may not make sense. Follow your gut. All right, guys, that's going to do it for Bartlett's Ram topic of the day. Woo! Have a talk for 23 minutes. The shorts were not this long. The shorts. <laughs> All right, guys, so uh, concluding and summarizing today's episode, we broke down Stanford on the bubble watch, and they have a huge opportunity to knock off USC and Oregon in two out of their last three games. And if they do that, plus beat the Beavers, they should probably be a lock for the NCAA tournament, in my opinion. After that, we talked about Oregon briefly. Again, I'm going to do my best to get a specialist on next week. Either way, I think that they are, in my opinion, one of the top two teams in the Pac-12. After that, we talked about the Trojans and three factors, three players of what they'll need to make a Final Four run or at the very minimum, a deep run into the NCAA tournament. And we ended today's show. We brought it back for the full episode with Bartlett's Ram Topic today. Seriously, people, follow your gut, follow your heart, follow your soul. It's important. I don't know if there's anything more important than that. I, 100. 100, baby. So, thank you for tuning in as always, everybody. Glad to be back on the full show. I am out, and nothing's changed but the name, but the game, but the game. Cheetos and Tuna.